Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details this is internet marketing Hello everyone and welcome to episode 181 of Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. And in today's show, Kelvin revisits EdgeRank and talks to Chad Whitman from EdgeRank Checker. All coming up in Internet Marketing. So I know, Chad, in the past that we've exchanged emails and had some conversations about EdgeRank. Can you kind of, you know, for the audience members who might not have heard um, of EdgeRank before, and that's kind of involvement in Facebook, kind of explain a little bit about EdgeRank um, and kind of some of the basic ideas and tenets behind it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, Facebook has the news feed and it used to just publish just straight content as it came in. um, And Facebook quickly realized a ton of content had to be kind of digested for each and certain things were more important for other users. And so they basically made this algorithm called EdgeRank that basically presents content that's hopefully the most relevant to the Facebook user um, as they log on, uh, log on. So for brands that are on there, they want to make sure that that content is the most important uh, content that Facebook sees and gives them the most exposure so that their, kind of their messaging is, is going out. Um, to the most people as possible. And I kind of make the analogy a lot of times of um, kind of the old search engines mm-hmm. where they just had, they used to be directories and then they had to take a look at, okay, how do we actually process millions of websites on the internet? We have to, Google came up with an algorithm called PageRank to give you the best results when you type in that content. So it's kind of that same general concept, but it's in the newsfeed of giving the best con- content from a social context. Mm-hmm. And kind of the, so what are the kind of particular things that, you know, um, Facebook have shared that kind of inform and decide um, what appears in the newsfeed? Kind of are there particular factors that they're, they're Yeah, I mean, there? the exact things they use are affinity um, and weight and time decay. Um, and basically affinity is your relationship between, um, between the two users or the two objects. So it's basically... Facebook's monitoring the way I, the way I like to describe it is that they're monitoring basically anything and everything they can to understand the relationship between two users. And so, when you're talking about two um, two people, two individuals um, on Facebook, they might look at the messaging between each other. They might look at um, you know timeline visits, or uh, you know if you're always liking their content or you know commenting or sharing. Just basically constant engagement between two people or a brand and a fan 
they're going to be looking at that because basically where they rank actions, they're going to actions is more important than other actions. Um, so from a brand perspective, they might look at a share as being more important than a like or a comment being more important than a like. Um, and then time decays is basically as things get older in Facebook, they want to give it less value so that you're seeing new, fresh, exciting things in Facebook. So those are the kind of the three um, uh, different variables that go into the actual algorithm. And I know kind of like yourself and myself and various people have kind of written about EdgeRank over a, sort of a number of years now. And I mean, it seems to be that, you know, time in the past where perhaps very few people knew about it, there's certainly kind of been an increase in um, awareness of the algorithm over the lot, particularly the last sort of 12 months or so. But, you know, in the process of more people becoming aware of it, I, I seem to be coming across uh, more people who perhaps misunderstand or kind of misinterpret what Facebook have told us about EdgeRank, you know, that's kind of based on the, the information that they've shared. Um, and also kind of speculating is what's kind of is there any particular misconceptions or you know ways that people have perhaps misunderstood the idea of edge rank that you've come across that you think are kind of um worth noting and kind of understanding the real way that it works or perhaps the kind of misunderstanding that that, that person's made yeah absolutely that, i mean that's one thing that um you know when when facebook first came out i think at f8 2010 and mentioned the concept and, and provided a few screens of describing what it is they're doing um, for me, at least, I, I jumped right into it and really wanted to analyze and understand what exactly it was they're doing. And in that process of, of my research of, of kind of how brands were in, being impacted by the algorithm and how they're improving and um, things of that nature, I went down this path of, of building a tool um, called Edger and Checker to help brands understand how Edgerink was impacting their content. Mm. Now, part of that that process of understanding this algorithm. The algorithm is, is very, it's relatively simple, but it's also very complex and it also becomes more complex kind of the, the deeper you dig into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes for very kind of high-end analytical, mathematical type discussion when you're talking about it, when you're talking about the nuts and bolts. But what happens a lot of times when you're working with marketers trying to understand it, um, at least from my perspective, I try to boil it down so that they understand mm-hmm the concept and how we're going to go ahead and improve that. Because I think marketers care less about necessarily the nuts and bolts of exactly how A is affecting B. They want to know how do I improve kind of what we're talking about. And through that philosophy, um, our product, EdRank Checker, we provide EdRank scores for pages. Um, We provide basically the average impact of EdRank on the average piece of content for that day. And we try to simplify that process so you're able to measure the average effect of EdRank Throughout over day over day, so you're able to look at is that going positive or negative, so that we can then provide recommendations to help you improve that effect. Mm. And through that process of of us kind of being one of the leads on, on on understanding this 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 concept, we've had there's some misconceptions of is Facebook exactly assigning an Edrank score to a page? And the answer is no. However, there is an average affinity level of all your fans on average with your page, which in effect is going to be a score that is kind of like an Edrink score for the entire page because you basically have a set. If you could measure the affinity between every single user and every single page and every single piece of content and look at that average effect, that number would basically give you that average, you know. Mm effect and so the way that you can see that in your own insights if you dive in your own insights there's basically as you push out your content you're always going to have the same kind of general probably reach percentage that you're hitting 
um, kind of relatively independent of the engagement that you're receiving on that particular um, uh, piece of content, which effectively is showing you a certain page might be always basically hitting 40% reach with when, and which is a great number basically as their content, you know, regardless of the quality of their content of that day. And then a competitor or someone of that similar size, similar, whatever, they might be only reaching 5% of that, of that same audience. And it's basically due to the fact that they've lost a lot of their affinity with their fans. And so that's probably one of the biggest kind of confusion point. Um, talk about when you actually get in the nuts and bolts of experts talking about a drink and when you start talking about the, the marketing and, and how do we actually take advantage of this kind of elaborate algorithm. Mm. And, you know, we're just trying to boil it down kind of like when you go to page rank checking, um, when you go to like PR rank checker.com mm. or they have, um, you know, just give me, give me a, a four out of 10. I want to know what that means and how mm. can I improve it to get a five out of 10 that's mm. going to give me search engine results. And that's what we're yeah yeah no i think you're entirely right there that kind of the and i mean I, and I, get, I kind of get why the tool is kind of headed in that direction because it's kind of difficult to produce something that kind of works in that way but yeah there certainly seems to be this kind of idea that edge rank is a score that someone has and you know whereas actually edge rank is kind of it's just you know it's a scoring that happens each and every time you log in between each and every piece of content that's occurring and you know rather than on a you know a page level it's not even on a, a day-to-day but it's on each individual piece of content and that's unique to each individual person as well because you know there's there's going to be scores of a Affinity, but you'll you know it'll be a spectrum won't it you'll have some people who have a very you know of your say your imaginary thousand fans you might have you know 10 who have an exceedingly high affinity score and you know right. 10 who have an exceedingly low affinity score and then you have a kind of distribution within there and i suppose what you're trying to do is look at where the average of that distribution is and that type of thing absolutely and in my and more importantly i want to know how do we improve that? How do we get more exposure? And so we're trying to basically set a guideline to to let's let's this this black box of, of edge rank that you know Facebook's the only one who truly understands. We want to shine a little bit of a light in there and say, hey, look, this is where we're putting our flag down. This is where we're going to start exploring. We'll go from here to start understanding this process so that we can improve improve our marketing efforts. And you know, and that's what we're trying to provide is that 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 little nugget of perspective that basically was non-existent before we started doing that. No, interesting. I mean, I've got a couple of questions, Chad, about kind of, you know, from your experience of, you know, you know, looking at some of these things in terms of particularly around weight. And I, I, th- I think I want to talk about it a bit before. And when I've presented in the past about Edgerank and kind of talked about the kind of concept of weight and that, you know, certain types of content are, are more likely to appear in news feeds than, than others and kind of, you know, uh, a piece of content which accumulates lots of interactions with it kind of is more likely to appear in there. A question that's come back to me a couple of times and I've not, you know, completely um, known the answer to the question is kind of, talking about kind of third-party tools. And the question is, you know, if I use Hootsuite rather than make the update directly in Facebook, do you think that that potentially has a different weight to it? And my answer has always been, you know, you know, um, conceptually, I can understand how Facebook might prefer content to be uploaded in certain ways, kind of within the interface rather than using an automated tool. But I didn't know that kind of like... I didn't have examples of kind of where two identical pieces of content that were, you know, created, which one would be more likely to appear in someone's newsfeed than the others. Is that something that you've had experience of or kind of, a, you know, an understanding of, you know, how the tools you use to interact with Facebook might potentially have an impact on the likelihood of that status update or that photo or that video appearing within someone's newsfeed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we we didn't had you asked me about a year or so ago um we actually we were doing a study because it was kind of a popular 
belief in the Edrink kind of community that using a third party like that really just was detrimental um, to the basically the Edrink of that piece of content. And so I decided to kind of dig into it deeper, um, kind of with our data set to start analyzing that and. Basically, at that time, that was back when the when the top news feed and the most recent news feed um, existed, and that that was before the whole timeline rollout yeah. and everything. Um, and it was also a time that uh, Facebook often grouped posts by publishers. So a lot of times you'd see, a lot of times I'd see like the RSS feeds or whatever. They'd be grouped. There'd be ten of them, the one basically object, and then they would say, "Would you like to see more?" And you'd click on that, and you'd see more. And they did that with Hootsuite, and they did that with all any third-party API um, at that time. And so when we did our research, we basically found that um, when using a third-party API, that we were seeing about eighty-eight percent less engagement uh, for that for that piece of content compared to normal piece of content and and that's obviously detrimental um to to a drink of object you're basically you're taking away its life force of you know you you want likes comments clicks shares um all these different pieces that go into a brand's piece of content and again all of our data comes from the brand side and but you can apply it as well you know to to, to fan to, or user to user but um so we did this research and we and we published it and a lot of people came out and it really caused a stir a bit in the community. And it was really interesting because a lot of the people that came out and said that it was um, that they didn't like it or they didn't agree with it, their data didn't line up, were kind of third-party publishers. And uh, they jumped all over us saying, this isn't accurate. And then we had a couple companies come out that were kind of in the big industry and say, hey, they, we've noticed this was an issue. We didn't really want to say anything about it at the time because it negatively impacted our business. But it is something that's being – dealing with and we want Facebook to do something about it. Um, about a month or two later, that whole newsfeed was um, edited and or put together and they made the timeline and then the hybrid newsfeed. And long story short, um, Facebook kind of in the developer side. Of- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Things there was an eight there was a bug that was submitted. It had to do with publishing in the news feed and and aspects and it was it was submitted by one of the big publishing companies 
And Facebook ended up addressing it and, and, and issue and putting in a fix. So we ended up doing a follow-up research. Mm. Uh, and we basically found that from our perspective, it looks like Facebook – um, isn't giving like an inherent penalty to any third-party API um, as now. Now, what what I'm not saying by saying that is that doesn't necessarily mean that those third-party APIs aren't suffering from an engagement perspective. Still, but what we're seeing is that Facebook isn't necessarily inherently punishing you just for using a third-party API. But a lot of times, people um, and your fans and your users aren't engaging with it as well just due to the so many people kind of abusing the automated process of you know hey it's friday today congratulations like have a great a weekend instead of maybe something live and from the office or from the brand's perspective that happened that day really is engaging and i use a lot of times like sporting uh brands that are doing um that are sports on facebook you know if they didn't publish their the newest highlight of the day or whatever, and they just did automated everything of what they thought might happen. You know, fans are going to be less engaged with that, and you see that just kind of across the board in general with third-party APIs. So if you can, right, if your if your content is kind of timeless, um, then I tell brands, hey, like go for it. It's it's all right. But if if you can publish it, like spur the moment, uh, I think that shines through um, in automation, and you typically see more engagement just to the quality of the. Po- uh, posting impromptu yeah i think yeah you're entirely right there isn't it it's you know it's not necessarily the tool that's leading to lower engagement and therefore potentially lower affinity and lower edge rank it's actually the content that's doing that and there's you know good content is m- perhaps more likely to be putting in you know entered you know manually within the site than something that is yeah rescheduled for a you know a third party api so that certainly seems to kind of yeah there's kind of two elements to it there as well and i suppose you do wonder if kind of you know, yeah, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there, isn't it? It's it's not, you have a lower edge rank, but that's not as a consequence of the tool. That's as a consequence of the content you're using the tool to produce. And there was another question I was asked recently that kind of, again, um, you know, I, it was an interesting one where someone had kind of made the point that, you know, when you're looking and kind of coming from an SEO perspective, um, and they were talking about, well, is the you know, talking about content that's shared that's links, you know, that's essentially with outside of the, the Facebook ecosystem. And they seem to be implying that EdgeRank was something that was related to a domain, if you see what I mean. So like a piece of content from, you know, the New York Times has potentially a greater weight than a piece of content from, from you know, KelvinNewman.com. And, and that's certainly not something that I've experienced. And I think it's kind of far more document-based with links and that type of thing. Is that kind of the experience that you've had as well? So it's, there's no kind of intrinsic one publisher is considered more um, worthy of appearance in the newsfeed than another. And I suppose this is kind of removing applications and frictionless sharing from the equation, which I think is kind of quite a different sort of environment altogether. Um, yeah, we haven't seen anything uh, with that specifically, and I, and we have, but I will necessarily have it researched um, like where the outbound link is in the correlation. Part of the problem with, you know, studying any of this stuff and, you know, we talk about like if we were, let's say we were to analyze through our data and we were to grab, you know, all the links and see where they're pointing to and see the engagement, um, I would probably argue that, you know, the, the New York Times wrote a more engaging piece of content than, you know, than, you know, than, than joesmith.com. And, and so you start to get into this area of, you know, it's, you know, there's a correlation, but is there a causation and, and of understanding these links. And so long story short, I, we haven't analyzed it. Um, I don't know any exact 
numbers on it. I personally don't. I personally don't believe that that Facebook is doing that. Just that's just a hunch. That's just mm-hmm. my intuition. Um, but uh, if we did research it, I do think there would be a little bit of a how much of its correlation, how much of, how much of its causation. Mm-hmm. So, but my hunch is my intuition is telling me I don't think they're looking at where that outbound exactly link mm-hmm. is going. Just and that's just more to the fact of how they structure their API. I mean, we deal with this API, we deal with the developer side that, you know, we're, we, we see how this process tends to work. And I just don't feel like mm. they're doing, an, I feel like they would be doing more link analysis in insights if that were true. Mm. And, and that's well, kind of where I'm thinking. Yeah. And I suppose it's also the fact as well that, that, you know, the vast majority of the content that's going through that system doesn't have a third party link, does it? You know, it's kind of going externally. Most of it's for put people doing photos within Facebook, people doing, you know, status updates within Facebook and, and all that kind of within the ecosystem. So it just seems that that would be a kind of a weird sort of way of thinking about, a, a, I suppose, a relatively small subsection of the amount of content that they're trying to, you know, algorithmically determine, which is the most important, which kind of always seemed the logic from my perspective that, you know, it, it doesn't seem a logical way of doing things when it's only a small subsection of the type of content that they're trying to determine. And I don't really see the the value of Facebook um, caring on, uh, you know, the New York Times versus, you know, JoeSmith.com. I mean, if JoeSmith.com, you know, cured cancer, mm-hmm. I think Facebook would want that piece of content to override any piece of content. So mm-hmm. I think they're really just looking at the quality of that content and, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, making sure it's not spam, basically, and, and just treating it like any other object and just giving it more love, the more value that it has and uh, when a lot of times when we talk about all this stuff I, it's kind of funny because the conversation ends up going kind of backwards in that um i say you know hey it's about facebook putting putting out the best content possible in front of in front of everyone and so a lot of times brands get really wrapped up in in doing this and doing that and won't change this and i say look if you have something awesome like just just publish it yeah now, facebook is is going to it's going to work out well yeah. if you have something that's lame then then don't and yeah. and and, and just and so it's kind of like the more you dig into it, the actually more simple sometimes it becomes and just do stuff awesome. And, and what we try to do is basically with our product is try to line up those best times of day to mm-hmm. give you that best opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to have something awesome today. Mm-hmm. This will give you a little bit more kind of bang for your buck by yeah. going instead of posting at you know three in the morning or whatever it may be yeah so it's about getting that kind of extra one percent rather than being much more than that isn't it it's the kind of the 99 percent of the effort's got to be on the thing that you're producing in the first case and you know understanding a drink might get you that extra one percent that gets you you know you know an extra one percent worth of visitors or you know kind of it's that type of thing isn't it it's, it's the icing on the cake rather than the cake itself yeah i mean in the brands that are that are understanding um you know timing and and, and how to broadcast their content at the right, you know, how often, at what times a day, what days a week and things of that nature. I mean, you're basically able to get, you know, a, an extra boost in it's in their to margins and they add up. And for the big brands, I mean, that can result in, in a huge bottom line ROI stuff. And, and for the small brands, they can, they can start that ROI process for them, you know? And in terms of kind of, you know, to finish up some sort of general advice that you offer to people that if they have a Facebook page, they're kind of, okay, they're aware now of edge rank and, you know, they're aware of kind of affinity and weight and, you know, decay and they're kind of aware of these terms and they kind of get an understanding. Is there any particular advice you can have, you know, beyond the produce great content that, you know, generally tends to apply in terms of for people, you know, increasing their likelihood of appearing? Yeah, I think I think the the future of, of understanding uh, Facebook analytics and and, and and succeeding on Facebook marketing with your Facebook page is is really going to be first of all 
coming up with with a with a solid fan acquisition uh, model, uh, making sure that you're acquiring fans in the right way, and you're in your in your in encouraging the right fans to be a fan. We've seen we've gone through that phase, and hopefully it's over, but. I'm guessing it's not, but just giving away an iPad or giving away, you know, whatever, just to get, you know, all these fans are buying fans or whatever it may be, um, is not the path to succeeding on Facebook. It's about acquiring, you know, real fans that are that are actually tangible, you know, they have a real personality and they're actually interested in your product or your brand or what you're trying to do. And once you've done that, and, and so many brands skip that by just, like I said, giving away the iPad or, you know, giving away a MacBook, just, just to get the average person to like their page is, is, Really, a really bad strategy is going to hurt you long term. So, assuming you have that that audience that you've that you've built or you're starting to build, and even if it's small for the small brands out there, it's it's okay to have a small brand. As I mean, those are real customers again that that can you know can make purchasing decisions for your brand. Is to really understand them and really understand how they want to consume your content, when they want to consume it, where. I, I use the analogy a lot of times of, let's say you had like a very blue-collar audience and, and they don't have internet access at work. You know, they're in the factory working all day and they check either Facebook before work and after work. You don't want to publish content in the middle of the day when they're not there. You want to make sure you're publishing content when they're at home and using their computer. Now, that same token, you want to start to understand that process of does my audience, you know, and you can look at demographic information to say, does my audience consume this stuff on mobile or, or desktop? Now, that might start to change. Well, are they going to want to see more videos? Are they going to want to see more status updates? And so aside from understanding great content and pushing great content, because the great content will kind of arise above a lot of these timing issues, but really putting out that kind of that, that okay, today I want to publish a piece of content that goes out to my fans, how am I going to do this? We want to publish that stuff in a way that they can consume it. And, and again, that comes back to, you know, when are they at work during this time? Or do they want to, are they commuting maybe? And they don't want to watch video because their internet connection is not the greatest. And they just want to look at status updates and photos and just understanding your audience and what it is they want. And that comes from a content perspective and then how they want to consume it. Um, I think it's kind of the future of understanding that and, and, and looking at that, those two relationships. And then of course, publishing great content um that's amazing to to you know actually engage them and and the last part is it's kind of sounds silly but give it a call to action in your content you know at tell fans what it is that you want it's it's you're start we're starting to see a lot of content like this now that this kind of piece of advice is really going around but we truly do see higher um results with brands that typically ask for engagement they tell their friends like us like if you agree with this or comment if you like this and if for for what it's worth, humans are doing it, and it's creating more engagement, and it's creating more results for the brands that are, that are leveraging that type of strategy. Fantastic! No, some sound advice there, Chad. I think it, yeah, it's a really interesting topic and one that I think you know it, it, more people are beginning to understand, and it, you know potentially there's quite a lot of value to be had there from you know making more from your Facebook campaign. And it's perhaps not going to dramatically change how you go about things, but like you say, it's those slight tweaks that can potentially have quite a disproportionate effect on the the success of a campaign. Absolutely. Fantastic! No, really appreciate that, Chad. Yeah, no problem. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links, and instructions on how to subscribe. We would absolutely love to get feedback, comments, and questions from you if you want to send an email. 
send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website. And if you'd like to use our voice line number, if you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. If you're inside the UK, it's o one two seven three two five six one five zero. And you can leave a voice comment or question, and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.